You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement. For fans, by fans, 30 minutes of socks. And it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions, named one of the South Town's best in 2021. I'm sure they're going to get that again at the end of this year as well. For bowing walls, window wells, sump pumps, gutter cleaning, yard drainage systems, and so much more to keep water out of your basement. Give them a call 24-7-708-330-4466. Family and veteran owned and operated since they started in 2013. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. Ed, I have a question for you to start off this show. All right, fire away. All right, if you were worried about, say, water in your basement, would you call Family Waterproofing Solutions or would you get a roofer? I would call Family Waterproofing Solutions. That seems like the... The more prudent move. Makes a lot of sense, right? That you would go you would go and do that. Right. And yet, meanwhile, I think the White Sox would just get a roofer. Because if you look at the offseason of Rick Hahn, uh, you needed a bunch of things. And you just went and got more relief pitchers. <laughs> like, yeah, you, that's... Yeah. that's uh, so I think they would call a roofer. I mean, look, every day that goes by, I think this becomes more and more of a disastrous offseason. Like, and it all falls in the general manager's lap when you're a top five payroll. Or I think that's where we're at right now. Five, I, I don't know what exact number or wherever we're at and how we'll finish up. But when you have money being spent and you you muff this as bad as he has done to this point, and he can still save it, but he needs to pull off a couple of moves, you muff this this bad. It falls right in your lap and all scrutiny should be on Rick Hahn. And one of the guys that will ask tough questions of Tony LaRusso and Rick Hahn and wrote a little article just in the last 48 hours about Lucas Giolito and an attempted contract extension, James Fegan of The Athletic on this program in just a little bit to talk all about the Giolito thing and how close they were, but they still seem headed to an arbitration hearing. The difference, according to Giolito, about $50,000, that's it. You want to sign this guy long-term and you're haggling over 50 Gs? No. Like, this this is not good. Every single thing that's being done since the lockout by the White Sox, is a disaster. They have a really good team that has a chance to go far in the playoffs. Well, and there's really, we're running out of ways to, as fans, even sit here and spin. Even the even the White Sox fans that are out there, and they do exist somewhere where they're always, you know, bright and sunshiny, can't possibly sit and look at this and go, you know, when Rick Hahn said we were going to be better at the start of the season... Man, he delivered because he literally has done nothing to improve the team. I remember somebody put the tweet out. Somebody retweeted Bob Nightingale. And we always laugh about how Bob Nightingale is probably getting his information straight from, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf, White Sox front office. Like when he puts things out, sometimes he's wrong about things, but you could tell that he's getting the information from somebody in there. Well, he was the one that was sitting there saying they're going after a frontline starter. That didn't happen. Like They still haven't solved any of the things that were glaring issues at the beginning of the offseason, and it is March the 24th, and I know that we had a lockout, but whatever the plan was, the plan failed, and it seems like the plan was 
pick up a $16 million contract on a relief pitcher that you don't have any confidence in because that's why you went out and signed other relief pitchers for your bullpen. But you don't have any confidence in him, but you think you can convince somebody else to have confidence in him and take all $16 million so that you can, and, and you get a return in a player. And this has just gone terribly awry. Again, it might get fixed, but it seems like it's gone terribly awry. And then I, I kind of want to fall back a little bit on players that are available to you. I found this really interesting. We talked about Michael Conforto probably not even being a fit for the White Sox because of the fact that, you know, he hasn't, it, we think based upon his comments that he hasn't gone out and gotten his vaccine. Okay. Again, whatever your opinion is on it, I'm just looking at this from a baseball perspective. Okay. And from a baseball perspective now, it seems like that is something that is on the minds of many teams. Trevor Story signing with the Red Sox, the story coming out, Jeff Passan reporting on it, that the Red Sox told him he had to be vaccinated or they weren't going to sign him to the deal that he ended up signing. Because at the time, he couldn't go play the Yankees in New York and he couldn't go play the Blue Jays in Toronto. And the idea that you have two contenders in your own division and you wouldn't be there for those games would lower the value of the player if he's not available to you because of the local laws that are currently in place. And the Canadian laws are still in place. They've changed it now in New York. Okay, there's exemptions for athletes and performers. But but the laws still exist in Toronto. And imagine going into a playoff series with the Blue Jays, because trust me, they're going to the postseason this year and you can't bring your right fielder. So I think it is a concern, not just for the White Sox, but for any team. And I think that's why we haven't heard a thing about Conforto. And again, that's why I've crossed him off my list. You hear that. And sure, you can sit there and get into the politics of all of this. But the fact is, is that makes a ton of sense. Trevor Story for the Red Sox is a big signing. He's the guy that's going to help stabilize their infield and keep them from playing Christian Arroyo too much because he's not very good. They're going to keep Kike Hernandez in the center fielder because they're not sure that you know, their top prospect's ready, and they traded away Hunter Renfro, who's their right fielder last year. So they're trying to fix this with Trevor Story the same way the White Sox would be trying to fix it with Michael Conforto. And you're right. If, if I'm the Red Sox brass and I'm sitting there going, how much am I paying this guy? And he's not going to play against two of my three biggest rivals this year? Right. No, I'm not doing that. I don't care about his politics. I don't care about any of that stuff. You do what's required of you to do the job that I'm paying you to do. So with Conforto, if that's the case, and and like you said, we're assuming that's the case because because of his comments, then yeah, if I'm looking at it from a baseball standpoint and, and not just the White Sox, but any team, I'm looking at him going, all right, so you can't go to Canada, which might not be a big deal for a National League team that, you know, Right. Not likely to have to play the Blue Jays. But if New York reverses course or if any other team city, you know, has has this issue, let's say that it's Los Angeles or something like that. Uh, do you think the Padres are going to sign Conforto and then find out that he can't go play the Dodgers? Or if it's all through California, he can't play, you know, until he gets until he gets his uh, his shots. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's. It's beyond politics at this point. It is definitely something that merits consideration, especially for any team that is going to spend what we know this guy wants. He wants like $20 million plus a year. He wants a lot, a lot of money for – I won't even get into his production for that level of money, but he wants a lot of money, and to not be there would be just I, – I mean, it would be very Rick Hahn-like. 
It's the way this offseason has gone, frankly. <laughs> actually, actually, them signing him might make perfect sense because it might not be a good idea it, it based now, upon yeah. everything you just said. <laughs> the place to be before, during, after White Sox games, especially home games, Cork and Carey at the park, 33rd in Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark, an award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites. And I'm telling you, the burgers are spectacular. Ed gets there every time and orders a ginormous burger. Am I right or am I wrong, my friend? You are 100% correct. Yes. And on Dine-In Mondays, non-Sox home games, two for one on those burgers, but you don't need two for one with the prices that they offer. It is a great bargain with great food before you walk into the ballpark or after the game, you need something to eat. Get in the 33rd in Princeton, cork and carry at the park. An extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. It is your home base for White Sox pregame, postgame, and viewing parties. And don't forget, if you're in the Beverly area, to check out Cork and Carry Beverly at 10614 Southwestern Avenue. Learn more, book your next event at corkandcarry.com. On the phone line with me right now, first time on the show, I've been wanting to have this guy on for a while because uh, he asks some really good questions, especially in postgame interviews. If you're a White Sox fan who watches postgame interviews, or watches interviews with general manager Rick Hahn, and you're sitting there saying, just ask this. It seems like James Fegan of The Athletic always asks the question that I think a lot of White Sox fans are waiting for somebody in the press to ask, and he's on the line right now. How are you, James? Uh, I'm good. I'm uh, very flattered by that description. I'm uh, glad I can be that service. Oh, I have, I have given a fist pump every once in a while, when you get up there and you're like the third or fourth person and there's been a few softball questions and then you ask Tony LaRusso, did you know that rule? Like, and I'm sitting there going, thank you. It took forever, but James asked the question. When you ask the harder questions, does the team, like, I, I, do, do you get like a nose crinkle? Does it ever affect, uh, you know, the relationship? Because I, I feel like sometimes you're asking the hard one that everybody wants asked. Uh, well, the one thing I'd say is like, I think it's a pretty common media strategy to kind of uh, try to ask a couple of questions to kind of get the lay of the land. So I wouldn't like come down too hard on the people who ask like a softball to get one going. Cause I think if, it was, if I was all by my lonesome and just having a one man post game presser with Tony, like I, I don't know if I'd ask the real question that's, that's <laughs> on the drop of a hat. Probably get into it. But um, the, the, one of the biggest compliments I could probably give to Tony Arusa, um is that we've obviously had, more than one uh, post-game presser uh, where <laughs> maybe ends in terse words and then storm me out. And universally, the next day response is like, hey, hey, James, how's it going? It's, it's, it's not something that's like carries over. Like, I mean, the first, <laughs> the first time he got hired, uh, the managerial presser, um, it was, I asked him about like uh, how he's going to handle um, having players who kneeled for the anthem, given his previous comments about it. And then the second time he ever talked, this was after the uh, drunk driving arrest. And the first question I asked him that was, do you have a drinking problem? So I didn't think we were going to have any sort of relationship <laughs> based on how things got started. And But uh, I would say that they really don't kind of carry those things against me in terms of the questions I asked. I haven't, I haven't noticed a grudge being held. 
So they don't have grudges with you. That's good. Is there a grudge forming between Lucas Giolito and the front office over $50,000, it sounds like, according to Lucas? That's how different they were in their proposals for arbitration. Now it's a 200000 difference uh, in, the, in the numbers that have been officially presented. This guy's going to be a free agent in a couple of years. Uh, it, it seems to a lot of White Sox fans there should be goodwill being you know, built between both sides here. And instead, it looks like the pitcher's a little angry. Is there something forming between pitcher and, and management right now? I mean, it hasn't been like a good 72 hours. I think it's definitely uh, like he was upset about it. He, he said as much. Um, but I think if he winds up leaving after 2023 uh, without, you know, an extension or, uh, you know, going elsewhere or, you know, traded before that because they feel like he's going to walk anyway, I don't think it'll be about hurt feelings. And that was kind of the point of my story of talking about the extension offer that he turned down without a counter last spring was that these are sides that, you know, they still say, you know, very nice things to each other. And I, Lucas still genuinely loves fishing for the White Sox. And I think would want to, you know, would, would be fine with being here long term in terms of fit. I don't think the fact that he got fits in arbitration is like, well, I don't want to be here anymore. I, would, I don't like being in the clubhouse anymore. I don't like having my favorite fishing coach anymore. Uh, you know, I, I think all those things are good. And I, I think what Rick Hahn said about their relationship with him and Lucas is, is still pretty true as far as uh, being a lot of trust and respect there. By recording that thing about the extension offer last year was trying to say, like, the disconnect on the value or the um, – how to line up on extension was already there. And I think it's, it's more of a financial aspect as far as what he thinks he should get to pass up on free agency. I, I think that disagreement is already present. And I don't think that was worsened by the arbitration, but it's just kind of emblematic of, you know, he is someone who's trying to, as a team union rep, he kind of has a responsibility to set a new standard um, for how starting pitchers get paid across the league. And that, that's something that's part of also with viewing himself as a, as a number one starter. So they gave him something that was kind of in line with maybe the Aranola contract from a few years earlier. You know, he's not trying to just kind of one, like, you know, prices have raised in the two years between those two years, but also he's not trying to just kind of hold serve with other kind of, you know, good starters that have gotten deals, especially, you know, one that was viewed as club friendly as the Nola deal, but he's trying to set a new standard. And, you know, they're also of the mindset, that he's once he hits free agency, and they you know, obviously he is confident of what he's doing is going to keep him healthy. That he's looking at you know a, a very major payday that's you know going to be nine digits. So he's viewing it as like he needs to take an extension to accept an extension. It needs to be something that really talks him out of what he views he's in line for down the road, not just something that's like yeah, it's basically a no contract from a couple of years ago. So I think the the disconnect is more about you know financials. Um, I don't think they're going to let like, this is a good offer, but I'm mad at you. I don't think that's what's going to sully an extension being made. Yeah, it sounds to me, I, I heard some comments from uh, Lucas during the offseason, uh, especially he was a player rep. He understands value and he understands building value. 
He seems to me like a kind of guy who he knows what he's worth or at least believes what he's worth. And he intends to hold the team to that standard, which it will make things very interesting over the next couple of years with him. Uh, I wanted to know because you've been around this team and you were down in spring training and you, you're going back and forth. You're you're doing so much work for the athletic. Uh, but you you hear Rick Hahn talk. You're you're listening to the players and, and the hype getting ready for this season and coming out of last year. You also, just like us, you heard things like this team needs to go out and get another left-handed bat or this team has some some improvements that need to be made in the offseason. And it doesn't seem like some of the needs that even Han talked about at the end of the year were addressed. So my question to you is, do you believe that that's because of the $16 million contract they've yet to be able to move with Craig Kimbrell? Is this a misallocation of funds by Rick Hahn, or is there another plan that's not just as simple as go out and get a free agent? Like there's, there's something they think they can do in the trade market that we haven't thought of yet. Um, I mean, it could be, I can't tell you that I know what the cap because they get a budget every year, obviously. They, they'll push against it, or they'll talk to Jerry about, like, hey, we think we need to extend it a little bit to make this move, and we think it's important. And maybe Kimbrell uh, is something where it needs to to move to really have a, a, another addition. I've heard more stuff about, um, you know, trade market possibilities, even, even regarding right field, uh, than I've necessarily heard about specific free agency talk. Um, that could just be my shortcomings as a reporter. Uh Obviously, you know, Ken Rosenthal reported them, uh, you know, shopping, you know, Campbell to the Braves. Um, you know, there's been talk of elsewhere where it's been some teams that have been hesitant to really take on the money, which is probably what you would have expected when they were picking up that option is, you know, how are you going to move uh, a reliever who struggled for who's making $60 million? But it, it seems like there's still another move that they are trying to make or working on the make, but I can't say that they're going to hit on it, especially as we get two weeks to opening day and, they kind of have what they have, um, but I don't. I don't know if it's going to be at this point moving towards something that they have to work with what they have and it gets addressed in the deadline. But they're certainly still the mindset right now that uh, the offseason is not finished. They're still trying on stuff. A lot of executives and you know White Sox included, like you know, we could get past opening day. We could get into a couple weeks of the season, and we're still seeing some uh, moves that would normally have been made in the offseason go down. So let me ask you about Kyle Crick, because I saw that you wrote an article about him recently. Uh, I, you know, follow other teams and uh, I, I know who Kyle Crick is. And I know that he was a guy towards his end of his time with the Pittsburgh Pirates that would walk in. And if there was something on fire, it seemed like he threw gasoline on it. He was having an awful lot of problems with that team. And that's why he became available, floated around and the White Sox, picked him up and put him in the minor leagues last year. Uh, but you indicated there's been some changes to him, especially in his delivery. What is it that you're hearing about Kyle Crick? Is he making the roster? Uh, you know, what does the team feel about him? I mean, yeah, he was a, certainly a, you know, a regular feature in some of the Pittsburgh uh, clubhouse drama um, back when uh, the last day of the Clint Hurdle. But, you know, I really feel like they cut him loose because he was walking the park, you know, the last couple seasons. And so the, the main fix was, you know, something to try to get him, you know, Really, if you think about it, like the improvements they talked about, his delivery sound a lot like Carlos Radon the year before, where you know he's his foot pressure was shifting more towards the front of his foot, and he was like leaning on his toes. And as a result of that, he wasn't as stable, and that leads to a lot of control problems. Uh, you know, Radon had a big shift, and just kind of focusing on keeping his uh, heel pressure um, throughout his delivery as much as he could. 
and that provided a more stable base. And, you know, we saw probably the best fastball command of uh, around career. Uh, another measure was feeling like he could get swings earlier in the count and thus avoid getting the count to lead the walks if he added a sinker, which they felt like would tunnel better with his, you know, kind of wipeout slider than just throwing a straight four seam. He has a slider that has a lot of sweeping action to it. So a straight four seamer, uh, as much as that's more of a swing and miss fastball than a sinker to, tends to be. Um, you know, you can kind of recognize what the straight pitch is and what the big sweeper is a little bit more easy out of the hand. So they wanted to give him a sinker that kind of fades a little bit to the arm side to give him something that, you know, pairs off of his slider a, a bit better. And, you know, as much as it seemed like the last couple of years have been, you know, guys ditching the sinkers to throw four seamers, they felt like just with him and his arm path and the way his stuff works, that this was something that would help him out a bit. And, you know, Kyle seemed to agree and obviously put up a big numbers in Charlotte. And, you know, this was uh, with Zach Rodeo uh, struggling, uh, Tyler Johnson getting hurt, um, you know, Ian Hamilton. I, I can't tell you what organization he's with right now. A lot of guys that they thought were going to be their next step of relievers um, to really come up through have, have kind of fallen by the wayside the last couple of years. So this, this is a very important that they kind of find depth by uh, creating it, by finding guys who have been cast off or talented and then making little fixes with them and, and hopefully rounding out the back end of that bullpen. You know, I don't think he's going to be closing any games unless there's like a you know uh, flu outbreak in the, in the White Sox bullpen. But, you know, they have some spots to, to compete for there, and he can be part of that. James Vegan writes for The Athletic. He covers the White Sox, does a great job, and I hope he continues to ask really hard questions because I really enjoy his uh, his post game. I do, James, and I appreciate you coming on the show. I uh, look forward to having you on again. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for having me. Ed, help protect the people and assets in your life and your afterlife. Estate plans, wills, trusts, powers of attorney, probate, real estate closings, the prenup, and small business services, starting a business, selling or buying, needing contracts, all of it can be taken care of by Village Law Offices. Give them a call today at 847-656-3600 or visit villagelawoffices.com. So what I'm gleaning off of James Fegan of The Athletic is that while he doesn't think that this $50,000 discrepancy that had the White Sox and Lucas Giolito unable to come to terms right away with the arbitration that then leads them down this this hearing path and who knows if they settle or how this is all going to work out, but it's just silly. $50,000 is like three bucks a Jerry Reinsdorf. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? But this is not something that is going to form grudges. And that wouldn't be the reason why Lucas Giolito would not sign with the White Sox after his initial time with the team and his ability to go in free agency comes about, it's more because it sounds like Lucas Giolito, as a guy who's a union rep and as a guy who's talked before about his value, he wants to set a bar for pitchers. He wants to change the way that pitchers are are paid. And the White Sox are not a progressive team. So when I hear that, I go, oh, man, enjoy him now for the next two years and let's hope we win something before he's out the door. Absolutely the case. I mean, whenever you have a White Sox pitcher that really wants to test the market for whatever reason, yeah, don't worry about the optics of of arbitration and, and any contract negotiations. It doesn't matter because they're looking for Steve Cohen money. They're looking they're looking for for spend stupid 
you know, on on someone one of the you know, one of the coastal teams, the East Coast or the West Coast. That's where he's looking for, and and the Sox are never going to be that team, at least not under Jerry Reinsdorf's ownership, and that's okay, you know. But it does it it just magnifies what's gone on this year too, because you think about it, Lucas Giolito is the ace of the staff, and you can dicker about where Lance Lynn fits into that or Dylan Cease's future, but. 2022, 2023, he's a free agent, and you don't have that much coming up behind him to where you can sit there and absorb that loss. So if this is where the game is going, that pitchers are going to start commanding much bigger bucks than what the White Sox have historically historically wanted to put out, and uh, if Giolito's going to lead that charge, then you have about a two-year window here. Yeah, it kind of feels that way, and you know, uh, again, you could be excited about this team. You can love the White Sox. You can be super pumped about 2022. You should be. And you, you should really be. really should be. And you should be. And you could still think that Rick Hahn had a bad offseason and come to the realization that it's going to be iffy that they could bring back Lucas Giolito at best. At best iffy based upon what I just heard. Right? Like, I hope that isn't the case. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I heard that answer and I just went, oh, no. You know, I mean, like. That's just kind of how I felt like, ah, no. Well, yeah, same here. I, I just, I felt like in two years, he's a Dodger. That's what it felt like to me. So again, it all falls on the general manager who knows what his owner is willing to spend, what kind of contracts he's willing to hand out and what his budget is to allocate his resources and continuously put a winner on the field. If he can't do it, and somebody else should go in there and do it. This is a bad offseason. I still think Rick Hahn has done a good job on a lot of things, but you can no longer hide behind it's a rebuild and patience and the money will be spent. The money is being spent, and you're the one who's deciding what it gets spent on. So now at this point, you're in the firing line, and I have not been pleased over the last month or so with what I've seen, especially since the lockout ended. Speaking of the lockout ending, before I, I bring up the other thing that, that James touched on, which I found really interesting, since the lockout ended, I want to first off say thank you to every single person that listens to this show. Heartfelt oh, thank 100%. you. hundred percent. Okay, because when the lockout was going on, you could see very slight, but you could see this little dip. People were like, I don't feel like listening to stuff about baseball. What if these idiots don't play, right? And then when that first deadline passed, <laughs> a lot of you were done with baseball. It was really obvious. A lot of you were done with baseball. The moment the lockout ended, not only did everybody come back to Sox in the basement that had been gone for about 10 days there when it seemed like there wasn't going to be baseball, like the March 1st deadline passed, but the, in, the increase in the amount of people that are checking out the show is staggering. We're up 70% in the last 14 days since the lockout ended. It's amazing. <laughs> We're already one of the, we're already like a massively downloaded show. And like to be up that much, it's crazy. I give a little bit of credit, of course, to Sox on 35th and them joining force with us and getting us out to more people. And also to you, the listener, because you're spreading the word, you're you're listening to the show, you're downloading the show, you're supporting the people that support us with their advertising. And I just want to say, really, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, a guy that we might need to thank. When it comes to fixing pitchers, Ethan Katz seems to have a system now, according to what James Fegan said, where it's the Carlos Rodon fix, change the way he stands with his toes, and you'll make the pitcher all better. It sounds like he did the exact same right. thing with Kyle Crick. This is like when when uh, our last pitching coach, 
Don Cooper would just teach everybody a cutter and that would make them better. Like eventually it won't work, but this seems to be his trick. Like, you know, every pitching coach must have that one trick that he pulls out. Like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to teach you how to use your toes different. Like, <laughs> it seems to be the cat's thing. And I'm interested to see if this is his his fix-all thing that he does. Well, you know what? I will disagree with you that it's, it's not going to work at some point because unlike teaching a pitch, which Coop would teach the cutter, but then eventually other teams were throwing cutters, and not everybody can really throw that pitch effectively or use it as effectively as, say, Mark Burley did. Looking at somebody and saying, I can fix their mechanics because I can see their weight distribution is off and it's causing them to you know, lose something on their arm action or it's causing them to lose a bit of their control or a bit of their power. Stuff like that is actually way more sustainable because it's, it's taking a pitcher who's got natural talent. In Crick's case, it's taking a guy who always had a wicked slider, but turning it around and saying, okay, look, mechanically you're off, which is causing you to lose the ability to control this pitch that's already a pain in the rump to control anyway to try and control a breaking ball. So if we fix this, if we get your mechanics back in line to where you're delivering the pitch in a more consistent fashion every single time out, you're going to have the results that you had when you first showed off this amazing talent that you've got. And with Rodon, if you think about what we saw last year, he didn't throw anything new, right? He was still fastball slider, once in a while he'd throw a curveball, once in a while he'd throw a changeup, but all he was doing was the slider was placed better, the fastball was placed better, and because his mechanics were fixed and he was engaging his lower body in a better way, he went from throwing 96 to being closer to 99 more consistently and just getting more out of his delivery. Now, his arm's still made of questionable fortitude, but <laughs> and that's why he's a giant. Right. Right, that's why he's a giant. But Ethan Katz, I, I I like the fact that Ethan Katz is somebody who's looking more at, hey, I can fix that guy's mechanics and take him back to what he should be versus, all right, come here. I want to be the manager one day, but I'm going to teach you a cutter. Right, right. I mean, you know? you're right. You're right. I mean, it does make me want to go back and find video of Vince Velasquez and try to figure out how he's using his toes. <laughs> like, I really... Like that is that now is that now the new search that we're all gonna do after we heard that? Yeah, maybe it is something. But then again, you also then sit there and question, okay, so what the heck is wrong with Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell that Ethan Katz can't find a mechanical fix for those two? No toes. Must be must be a lack of toes. Oh <laughs> lack of toes. You know what? As Sox fans, we should be lactose intolerant. <laughs> oh, I'm cutting that joke. That was stupid. I bet it with lack of toes. <laughs> <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.